<laughs> this morning, I want to suggest a little bit uh, that, that life is a little bit like trying to catch a ball when there are a hundred different balls being thrown at you, right? Anyone kind of share that experience? Does it feel like that for others as well? Psychologists have actually got a name for this. They now say that we are struggling with a condition called hyperconnection. This is to recognize that there are connections seeking our attention more than ever. We're constantly being kind of connected into a hundred different sources, whether it's advertising on billboards or TV, um, perhaps it's um, friends and family wanting kind of that instant reply on your phone, or the hundreds of notifications that just spring up demanding our attention, or perhaps simply just having a busy calendar with appointments that just constantly means that we've got endless commitments kind of fighting for our attention. We are hyper-connected. And what's the result of this? Well, perhaps we simply feel exhausted all of the time. This is genuinely one of the, the sort of physical uh, responses of being hyper-connected, is that we are overstressed, we're burnt out, and we're tired. Likely, the connections that matter most to us, sometimes a bit like the orange ball in that last throw, I'm sorry again, um, sometimes get dropped. The things that are most important to us, because there are so many options being uh, thrown at us. Our brain capacity to truly connect and enjoy deep, meaningful connections with one another is often fried and burned out on quick, superficial, sometimes even meaningless connections as notifications just pop up on our phone wanting our attention. We often feel hurried. Um, Dallas Willard um, identified hurry as the greatest spiritual enemy uh, to humanity. He says, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I think we need to take Willard's words really seriously. We need to spend time working out how we can refocus and recenter ourselves around the way and life of Jesus to practice Sabbath and simplicity and fasting and celebrating and living in community and engaging in mission together. But today, I want to focus on one result of hyperconnection and hurry that we have become really aware of in our work with young people at the Bridge Youth Project, and that is loneliness. In an age where there are more connections than ever, Young people seem to have never felt so disconnected. Despite phones and games and other devices, teenagers are experiencing high levels of loneliness. In fact, young people report feeling lonely up to 20% more than older generations. So it turns out that more connections doesn't equate to feeling genuinely connected. And we see this in our work at schools, particularly in mentoring and one-to-one settings, as young people tell us the difference it makes simply having an adult sit there and give them their full attention and listen to them, to simply be with them. And so the word with has become so important and central to us, not only because of the impact we see in schools, but when we set aside time simply to be with students, but also because we're realizing that this is the reality that we enjoy with God the Father, who 
through the Son and His Spirit. Paul bears witness to this reality in the letter to the church in Philippi. He says, uh, what does he say? He says to them that it, that it wasn't enough for Jesus to simply send tweets to us or Facebook posts. He didn't quite say that. I'm sort of interpreting slightly. Um, but he says, despite being the very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be exploited. But rather, he lowered himself. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself so that he might be with us, that he might walk alongside us, that he might truly identify with us. Isn't that amazing? That should lead us to awe and wonder and worship this morning, this reality. To quote Eugene Peterson, he says that Jesus put on flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. Theologians call this the incarnation, but simply put, it's the idea that through Jesus, God has made his home with us. That's the big picture, right? But we see this time and time again lived out through Jesus' own ministry. He was so present and available to those around him constantly, even willing to be interrupted in the thick of a tense moment. Think, for example, of his journey to heal Jairus' daughter. To his disciples' utter amazement, he stops in the midst of a busy, hurried, connected crowd and focuses on one person. Who touched me, he says. And it's within this moment, this with moment, that we see a transformative moment, a moment of healing, as a woman who had been suffering for years finds transformation and new life in Jesus. The power of being with one person in the crowd. The road to Emmaus is perhaps another great example. Jesus has just died and risen, but rather than residing in a temple, or gathering large crowds around him. What's he doing? He's going for a walk with two people. Two people who are pretty disappointed, perhaps a little bit scared, discouraged. And he's walking at their pace. He's giving them plenty of time to work out in their own time what is going on and who this actually is, this new journey and companion. This journey ultimately leads to their eyes being opened Um, to the reality of Jesus' resurrection. But this comes about by Jesus simply being with them on the road or in the crowd or during the meal. Jesus prioritized with. So incarnation is kind of this big idea of God being with us, but Jesus continues to live out the incarnation in the way he interacts with us and comes alongside us. And again, this idea of being with could lead us this morning to endless reflections. As we ponder the reality, it should stir up awe and wonder and worship within us. It should lead us into greater depths of mission. This morning, I want to just very briefly draw out three things that I hope will help accomplish some of this. So firstly, notice how Jesus was never in a hurry. So perhaps Dallas Willard is right. If the aim of our spiritual formation is to become like Jesus, then ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our lives should certainly be a priority. Jesus is present. He gives his full attention to those around him, helping people not only know that God loves them, but demonstrating that by standing with them, even walking at their pace. I shared earlier that when we moved back to Salisbury, my son was one. He's now three. He'll be four next week. 
And what I've learned after, over the last few, well, lots over the last few years, but one thing in particular is that I've had to learn to walk at a slower pace. There's times where I'll need to get somewhere and I'll be dragging him along or be putting him on my shoulders because I haven't got patience for it. Um, but on a good day, more than often, actually what happens is I've learned that to be a loving father sometimes means I have to slow down to his pace. He's got shorter legs than me. I've got to learn also to kind of see the world through his eyes, to get down to his level, to show an interest in whatever he's found in a tree. Or actually, perhaps, why am I in a hurry? Maybe it's okay to go off in a different direction for a few moments. And I think the account of Jairus' daughter, the Emmaus Road story, as well as the bigger picture of incarnation, God with us, speaks to this kind of relationship that God has with us. He gets down to our level. He meets us where we are at. He sees the world through human eyes. God meets us where we should be, not by dragging us onwards, but right where we are. Theologian Kasuki Koyama, in his book, Three Miles Per Hour God, writes this. He says that love has its speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are so accustomed. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore the speed the love of God walks. I love that. God slows himself down to the three miles per hour, the speed that we walk at, so that he might walk in step with us, to walk at our pace with us. And so God meets us in our joys as well as our sorrows and our pain and our sickness, in our goals and our productivity as well as our depression when we're struggling to perhaps be motivated to achieve or do anything at all, in our triumphs as well as our sin and failure. God meets us at three miles per hour, the speed of walking, the speed of love. The second thing I just want to briefly draw out is that It's here, God with us, at our pace and our place, where transformation gradually happens, where hope is birthed, where eyes are opened, where there's release and justice and healing and knowledge of God revealed. God has come to where we are, even embracing death on a cross, Paul writes, so that he might also raise us up, exalt us with him in his resurrection to make all things new, to make the resources of heaven available to us, to bring transformation and healing and wholeness. To quote Athanasius, the great church father, Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. Christ has come to where we are so that we might ultimately be swept up into the divine life, to experience and enjoy fellowship and communion with God the Father. And so through the death and resurrection, Jesus has made this possible to enjoy the very life and being of God. And thirdly and finally, um, Paul writes that in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Paul expects Jesus' followers to adopt an incarnational mindset, a mindset of being with others to put the interests of others above our own, to learn to walk at the pace of the other, in the path of humility, of sacrificial love. It is the way of Jesus. It's the way of 
deep, meaningful connections in an age of hyper-connection. It's the way of sacrificial love in the age of the self. Learning to be with those around us might just be the antidote needed to bring change and hope within our pandemic of isolation and loneliness. This week, as a nation, we suffered the loss of Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth. And I think she was someone who embodied in many ways the mindset of Jesus, and we've shared this this morning already. She saw her high position, yet adopted the mindset of duty and service to those around her. I wonder if some of the loss that we're experiencing in this moment is not only because of the amazing person that she was, but also for this mindset and values which she stood for, which increasingly in an individualistic, in a secular age, we're mourning the loss of in public figures. We rarely see these kind of lived out in the sort of public sphere. This idea of duty and sacrifice and a spiritual calling under God, these are all things that are rarely demonstrated in an increasingly secular culture. So as we mourn the loss of the Queen, I think also we have an opportunity to remember that we can continue to live out the story that she was being swept into herself. That we too can be captured by the love of Christ, that we, that we make it our life's duty to come alongside those around us in sacrificial service and love. Let me pray for us for a moment, and then I would love just to share a little bit of the, of the work of the bridge with you. So let's pause and pray. Hello to our amazing supporters. We hope you're all doing really well. Since 1994, the Bridge Youth Project has become a distinctive Christian presence among Salisbury schools. During that time, we have always sought to adapt to the changing needs and opportunities within each school so that we can continue to be a transformative and consistent presence. Over the last few years, we've trained up and positioned mentors into schools from local churches. We've delivered pastoral sessions, one-to-one sessions, uh, RE lessons, collective worships and whole day events. We have great relationships now with around 30 schools and our work is beginning to expand across Wiltshire as well. Increasingly, we are being invited to embed our work more and more within the life of each school. And we recognise the impact of this as conversations that begin in lessons overflow into the corridors. And as a result, we've started to move away from our, our vision to bring Christian faith, hope and love to young people. Um, and make that switch to being with, to slowing down and being that consistent and uh, available presence in the heart of every school and that beacon of light to school communities. This year we are excited to be piloting a brand new approach to schools work and as of September we are in 13 schools developing and introducing chaplaincy for a whole day or two every single week. Chaplains will be available to uh, the whole school community, to students, to staff, they'll be visible, approachable, great listeners 
and advocates for young people's mental health and spirituality. They will enrich the school's mission and ethos, support staff and students uh, through wellbeing courses and be a link with the local churches, assist with RE lessons and collective worships and so much more. We are so excited to have this opportunity and even more excited to already be seeing the impact that it's having. Our friend Rob has been working as a chaplain in four primary schools in the north of the county for the past 18 months and we recently got to speak to some of the students about the impact he's having on them there and here's what they had to say. He makes things so like normal, like you're just talking to your friend and he helps so much and he has loads of fun with you because he knows exactly what you like doing and what you like to talk about. Yeah, um, he's kind of like a massive role model to me because, well, I always like struggle with my confidence and he kind of like is there to kind of boost that. And so far my confidence has increased like by loads. Uh, before I got in lots of trouble but and like said some, just something blurted out of my mouth. But now he's maybe like think before I say something. He he makes you really think about stuff before you um do it. So yeah, he makes me feel a lot harder about my decisions before I put them into action. And um has changed quite a lot for me um thinking about Christianity. He gives us lessons on love language and tells us how to resolve friendships and what language not to use and how to be kinder to each other. He's like really supportive and he's, he's open if you want to talk to him. He doesn't feel like a teacher, he feels like a friend who you can like play with and like talk to if like you're not feeling the best. Before that's my, I had really bad anxiety and he showed me how to control it and to not worry about it and like it will all be over and done with afterwards. I really enjoy the assemblies with Rob because we don't just sing any random song, we sing songs about God and we sing more than one so we learn more things. So the thing that Rob helps us all with is our self-confidence because ever since Rob came to our school He's always helped me with my self-confidence because when he started, my self-confidence was down low and now it's up high. Um, I also really struggled with confidence until Rob uh, and I met and we decided to start doing the clubs as we did and it built our self-esteem as well. For me, ever since Rob's came, I feel like I can com accomplish anything in the world. I hear children down the corridor shouting, Rob when they see him and and they are they are delighted to see him because they know if they need him they can come and talk to him spiritually he at rob rob brings out the spirituality in all of us it, it's 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 odd to define and quite difficult to define but when he talks about things he talks about things from a different perspective so where where we are talking about things in a, a head and deputy in an educational context rob will bring in spirituality and make you think more about how children are feeling and how families are feeling and where they are in their spiritual journey